In this episode of Octal FM, we discuss the ways in which our lives are becoming more internet connected, the history and the hype around smart homes, and generally demystify the internet of things. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Zephyr. And today's episode is going to be very smooth and very refined because well, we so. <laughs> because we actually have had to record this episode twice. <laughs> well, when we say we've had to record this episode twice, we've had to record your half again. Yes. Um, My I half may, was mine. Yeah, I may have accidentally not really hit records the first time that we did this and we got all the way to the very end before I realised. <laughs> so it's going to be one of those things where we're going to have a very smooth conversation because we know exactly what we're going to say yeah. but we're not going to be as happy with it as we were the first one because whoever is really. Yeah, exactly. It's never going to feel the same as the first It's like time. trying to write out that perfect email that you wrote as a cover letter of that job application that you happen to lose <laughs> because your computer shut down and oh. it never sounds quite as good. Oh, I just never. it's just never the same again. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but today... We, in this episode, we're going to talk about the Internet of Things. And we'll come on to exactly what we mean when we say the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. But we've talked a little bit about the Internet of Things and its associated role in uh, like smart homes and yes. home automation before in our episode about the Amazon Echo and yeah. uh, voice-activated home assistants. There's a lot of crossover between mm. this episode and that episode. Uh, you don't necessarily have to listen to one or the other to kind of get the benefit of either because they're very standalone. But you could, you will definitely be able to appreciate the content of each of them in regards to whichever episode you listen to first. Mm, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so you could you could go listen to that episode. And we'll definitely be, we'll be referring to the Amazon Echo a bit in this episode as well. But fundamentally, like what we're looking to do is just kind of just looking to demystify the Internet of Things, you know, just explain a little bit about what it is and where it's interesting and where it isn't, because there's a lot of hype and scepticism. Yeah, and hype's the word I would use. It's it's big companies are trying to make you believe that it's some kind of like sci-fi type thing that's, mm. you know, only just becoming because it's super high tech. Mm. And, well, I mean, it isn't really, is it? And no, that kind of no. goes on to what we were going to say about the whole demystifying of it is not mm. really that high tech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also the Internet of Things and smart homes in general, if we talk a little bit about smart homes first and sort of home automation, because that is what a lot of people think of when they think of smart homes and smart devices, you know, your lights automatically turning on and stuff like that. But actually home automation has been around for a long time. I mean, even if you go on a very simple level, you know, having manual little timers that switch things on and off. But also as early as like the mid 70s or so, you had uh, sort of standards for computer controlled automation of things in your home. There was this protocol, which is sort of a, a designed communication system called X10, which was a radio control uh, protocol that allowed different companies to write and build different pieces of hardware and software that could communicate with each other and automate different things. And in fact, sometimes you still have, that's still in use today, you still can buy things that are controlled by X10. You might have like a remote control that can do things, 
you know, like switch your lights on and off or, or if you have blinds, like remote control blinds and automated blinds, that's often uh, the X10 protocol still. I really enjoy learning about that kind of uh, low tech history. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like rather than being all kind of like sci-fi and like really advanced, I love like base level technology using things like, you know, radio waves and transistors mm. and stuff. You know, mm. it's, it's really, really cool. I think actually X10, this is very tangential, but I think it was actually both wireless and wired. I think there was a way that you would use the power line wiring to send signals a little bit like you can get now where you have those sort of plugs that you can use to move your internet from like one floor to another using the electricity lines. It It was like that. So you could have these signals sent over the power lines, which obviously was great because that means you can control your lights because they're connected to the power. Um, and so that was sort of that was kind of part of how it worked. Um, but it was also a wireless radio protocol as well. And this just kind of proves what we were saying about the fact that the whole idea of either home automation and kind of like device interconnectivity is not a new thing. No. The only real difference is why has it become such a big thing now? Mm. And that is very much because of the idea and created the idea of the Internet of Things, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So. Home automation is one thing, but actually adding the internet to that automation and to things in your house is where things have really sort of changed more recently. And the term, the internet of things, is kind of, it it just is what it sounds like. It's a term people tend to use to describe devices that are connected to the internet, either over Wi-Fi or wired or even a, a mobile phone connection. And... It will often be things that have previously worked fine without the internet, but are maybe enhanced in some way by adding the internet to it. And those cliche ones are things like your fridge or your toaster. You know, I mean, that's questionable whether they're enhanced. But things like um, your TV, a lot of people now have smart TVs, and that's really internet of things. A TV did not need the internet to function, but it's enhanced by having the internet added to it. And it's now become almost expected too, Mm. uh, as it's slowly becoming more and more of a thing within everyone's daily lives. Mm. So again, that whole idea of demystifying it, it's not kind of all super space age technology. It's very much the what's in your house right now, most likely. Yeah, definitely. Some of it is just, you know, you're surrounded by it already. That's interesting that there are a lot of things that you already have and they're already internet connected and it's just kind of accepted. But also there are a lot of things that are things, lol, um, that are internet of things and smart home kind of as a very fundamental feature of the product. And as an example of that, to explain what I mean, I think the company Nest really kicked off this like consumer internet of things devices Mm -hmm. phenomenon back in 2011 where they launched the nest smart thermostats in america and this was a replacement for your ordinary thermostats but the sole kind of reason for it existing because thermostats are fine right like time programmable thermostats or whatever the sole reason for it existing was that it was connected to the internet and it meant that there was an app you know, you could control your heating and your air conditioning remotely. Um, it was also much more intelligent in that you didn't need to program it explicitly. It would just learn your habits from when you turned it up and down. It would understand when you were in the house or not. Uh, I think it also had a motion sensor to detect when people walked past. Mm. Um, and so you would have to have it in like a prominent place in your house. And that really, really took off and really sort of 
introduced people to the idea of smart devices being a core sort of function of what they are. I think one of the reasons for that, especially in a, I think you mentioned this in our previous recording, um, <laughs> in America is the fact that a lot of people have like AC in their homes. Mm. So it's as much about cooling their homes as it was about heating their homes. Whereas yes. here in the UK, maybe less of a thing because, you know, generally speaking, you know when it's going to be cold in the middle of the night. So yeah, you just yeah. have the traditional thermostat. Exactly. In this country, thermostats aren't really a thing. <laughs> like no one really cares that much because we have very quirky heating systems in this country it's not very standard at all um, no. some people have combi boilers some people have hot water tanks some people have electric some people have gas you know all of that kind of stuff in america it's a little bit more uniform but i mean nest were bought by google in 2014 and they spent 3.2 billion dollars to acquire nest and that's like a massive statement of intent about how yeah. huge or how huge google believed the internet of things and smart devices is now i mean nest have now gone on to launch like a smoke alarm and they bought a drop cam which is a security camera and you can now buy a nest cam i think it's called which is basically the drop cam with a nest logo on it mm -hmm. um you know so they're really they're really living up to their company name actually because it's all about products for your nest as in your home, yeah, your home um, yeah. which i think is quite quite cute but <laughs> but it's what's interesting as well is that despite there's loads all this money and there's all these products there are so many products that are sort of smart devices people aren't actually becoming more inclined to buy them no um i found a survey that was done uh here in the uk that said and it wasn't that long ago and it said that over 70 percent of people who were surveyed had no plans to like buy smart home technology within the next couple of years. And also that they weren't really interested in paying for those products. Like they weren't, they, mm. they didn't want to spend money on them, let alone if they were given them. In both cases, they weren't really super keen, which is really interesting. I mean, I think the thing is, is that most people aren't willing to take that technology into their home knowingly, mm. but they'll happily go ahead and buy a smart-enabled TV, mm. or they'll use that internet-connected fitness tracker. Yes. You know, things like that, because they don't think of them as smart homes, you know, Internet of Things technology, because they have functions outside of being connected to the internet. Mm. Whereas things like the Nest, you really don't, you don't need it, do you? Like, yeah. you could just have your regular thermostat and that's fine. Mm. So I think that's very much the difference between kind of like active Internet of Things and a more subtle use of the Internet itself. Yeah. Because the, the problem is, is that big, big companies like Google's a phenomenal example, $3.2 to to acquire Nest. Mm. And I'm sure like every other electronics manufacturer is doing the same thing. They want to push this as a big thing and something that's not necessarily cheap um, because that's where the money can be right now mm. because it's so cheap and easy to do now. Like for the past kind of year or two, maybe more than that, like a few years, it's become so much easier to do, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I think this is an important point in my opinion and from my experience as you know like a, a software developer and I also have done a little bit with hardware and electronics is that we've now really reached this point where adding a computer adding a microprocessor to something that doesn't already have one is phenomenally cheap you know we're talking pennies for essentially an entire computer that was probably more powerful than your actual PC 10 years ago, you know, you can now put that in anything for about 50p. And I think that sort of revolution of really cheap microprocessors and also 
again, this is very much my speculation. I don't know if this is true or not, but there is a huge market now for entry-level hobbyist and a little bit beyond electronics and like I don't know what what would you call it? It's like like embedded computing. So small devices, small computing devices. There's this huge yeah. market and ecosystem now for things things you may have heard of before. You may have heard of um, Arduinos or Raspberry Pis, in particular Raspberry Pis. I'm sure, like these products that allow you to build your own little toy devices and electronics. They're kind of like Lego. Right, like yeah, yeah, it's definitely. now got to the point where you can take a Raspberry Pi and you can take some other thing, and you've got something that can control some motors, or you've got something that can switch some lights on and off based on how you program it, and you know you can sort of put all these pieces together, and ta-da, you've actually got quite a sophisticated um, sort of smart home device, quote unquote smart device, yeah, yeah, something that's actually interacting with things in the real world rather than is just a piece of software that pretends to do something. It can actually do a thing, and that has caused this explosion of products that are of that kind of vein because yeah. it's now so easy to sort of muck around and be like, oh, I've actually got something here that's almost kind of a product. Like maybe I could start a Kickstarter or, you know, or, or even if I'm in a larger company, you know, it's just like maybe I can take this to someone to be like, hey, why don't we build this thing? And I think that that is sort of concerning and maybe maybe I'm adding to that skepticism about the Internet of Things and smart smart devices, but I don't necessarily think that there is as much sort of rigor and responsibility in the building of these devices as people might expect. Yeah, especially when it's something that's connected to the internet, which is already mm. something that you think about as being unsafe or somewhere you have to be very cautious about using and mm. i mean you're trying to market this to maybe a kind of a demographic which is already a little bit wary about like having their internet data you know quote hacked you know mm. then you add this where the fact is it's not brilliantly well put together it's like mm. it's it, i think you, like your com uh, comparison of lego is fantastic because mm. you know it, it can look really impressive but at the end of the day it's still just lego isn't it yeah, and exactly these products are just that like they look impressive especially when they build them all nice and you know they make them look all sleek very like apple way of looking mm. at them you know but at the end of the day they're just a really basic device with like a little processor attached to them and mm. there's, there's not much more to it is there yeah and also the fact that you've got a whole computer in there you know there's a lot of complexity there even if it's doing a simple task if you've got an entire you know computer in there you've got software that's been written you know and software always has bugs and the more complicated the software the more that can go wrong with it mm -hmm. so taking nest as an example uh, you know and their smoke alarms and their thermostats you know there have been plenty of reports in the media about bugs with these devices where you know for example the nest uh, the thermostats they had a bug where they ran their reserve battery down which then meant that they powered off so as a result you had no like heating, your heating wouldn't come on because they'd just like drained their batteries and gone offline. And I'm not saying that can't happen to a simpler device, but simpler devices, there's less to go wrong, right? But yeah, as soon absolutely. As you, it's basically as soon as you add a processor to something, you have just massively increased the complexity of that device compared to just switches and 
you know, switches and, and simple discrete chips. And that's assuming it's the device that has the problem and not even necessarily either the server or mm. the internet connection connecting those devices to wherever Absolutely. they're going in the first place, you know. The internet is really held together with duct tape and string. You know, it was never really designed to work as it as it does now, let alone with everyone's thermostats on it as well. <laughs> you know, like there's a and lot that can go wrong. Else. Um, you know, and, and that can have it can impact a device like that in ways that are very difficult as a software developer to predict. So the people that are building those, it's not necessarily that they're, you know, they may be taking a lot of care and attention over it, but thing, unexpected things can happen. And yeah. it can be, and the more complex, complicated something is, the more unexpected things can happen. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they are fixing what isn't broken, essentially. Mm. Uh, you know, and the, it's just more things do go wrong. Mm. Uh, and and they're also not cheap either. Even though they're super no. cheap to make, you know, they, they'll, they'll certainly charge you a lot of money. Like, yeah. for example, the current one that I found a lot of people have been interested in, these kind of like uh, Wi-Fi enabled lights, like yes. light bulbs. I like... Fifty pounds a bulb. Yeah, like the Philips how expensive Hughes, right? can it? Yeah, that's the one there, Philips Hughes. How expensive, realistically, is it to make that light bulb have a little processor in it that can be connected to an internet server? It is like definitely surely not. it's not fifty pounds. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and and that's the problem as well. One of the things because you obviously talked about the skepticism of the fact that they're super cheap and they're not really being made in this kind of like super high-tech fancy way which a lot of people assume they are but i also have the problem of they're being pushed down to people's throats mm. like big time because it's the new current thing isn't it it's, yeah it's what they want people to buy it's what they want people to buy into as a, as a thing much like how i think i mentioned it earlier like 3d tvs you know mm. and they every manufacturer was like oh this is this is the future this is the future and it it wasn't was it like who really owns one and if you do own one do you really watch all that much 3d tv mm. almost certainly not and I, th I think again this is one of those things which is going to go down that route as well mm. i think you're going to find that maybe another couple of years you're going to have more and more devices come out that are more interconnected you know the internet things is going to grow and grow and grow but people are going to have less and less interesting buying all this stuff mm. and i think it'll just kind of fade away until the next kind of fad comes along it's a great great comparison to draw with 3D TVs. I think fundamentally it's an excuse to sell something that's slightly different, right? Like it's an excuse to market something in a certain way and thus get money out of people. And I think eventually the fact that something is internet connected and a smart device, you know, as the selling point, I think you're exactly right that that will you know, fade away. And I think that people have a, a lot of distrust over things that are... Yeah, distrust is a good word. Yeah, internet connected for the sake of it. People are realizing that that's a little bit gimmicky. People are understanding a little bit more the security concerns, you know, and just generally being like, why do I need this to be, you know, internet connected? Well, it's interesting because if you kind of divide the demographic into just two people, uh, into two groups, and obviously that's being maybe a little bit too general, but you've either got techie people that know what's going on behind the scenes, like, for example, you and I, who aren't very interested in it because we know the fact this is overpriced stuff we don't really need, and we could probably do ourselves if we really wanted to for like a fraction of the price. Mm. Or you've got people that aren't so techie, and as a result of it, don't really trust the technology, don't want to understand the technology, and don't want the hassle of going through trying to set it all up in the first place. Yeah. So who are you marketing it towards? Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think you're just trying to kid everyone. Exactly. That said, I think that that consumer side of Internet of Things is something that we've discussed that quite a lot here. That idea that that's probably going to fade away. But at the same time, the more sort of boring, for want of a better word, and the, and the more subtle 
internet of things as a concept, you know, enhancing things by adding the internet is going to impact our lives more and more in the future and is already impacting our lives in a huge way. And I think that is really interesting. You know, the sort of the cool stuff that you can do in particular, there's a lot of more sort of commercial and enterprise applications of adding the internet to things to improve things and that's already a thing like yeah that's not something that's coming or something that's going to become a as a result of the commercial side of the internet of things like for example the the simple one that everyone would now just expect as part of the service is like your amazon prime order like Mm. the only reason you can track that through wherever it is you know it's in the van down the road or whatever is because it's got a little tracker on it yeah and then that sends that you know information to the internet which then sends it to your phone and you know where it is yep. and but that is really useful like it is handy to know where your package is if it's going to be late and you know when to expect it but other things as well like um transport that's kind of the mm. one that we kind of kept coming back to wasn't it like being able to monitor when the next buses or knowing what time your flight's due to arrive and if it's been delayed all that kind of information and yeah. that's all that's all internet that that is that is still the internet of things they're just not things you have in your home but they're things that you have to interact with on a daily basis mm. yeah absolutely i think there's a lot of applications for having internet connected sensors you know recording information and data on a large scale helps businesses and entities to make really interesting decisions and come to understand things. It's actually something that we missed out when we were just talking about, you know, why has the Internet of Things become a thing? It's something we touched on in our episode episode about the Amazon Echo. And that's that there is so much more computing resource readily available now, which allows you, when you apply these sort of concepts on a very large scale. So for example, for your logistics example, being able to track and understand as a, as a company, as a logistics company, where your vans are and at what state through their, their delivery schedule are they and stuff like that. You can sort of churn all of that data and make predictions. And instead of someone having to, a driver having to indicate, oh, I am running late, the system can just detect they are running late. And so they can then, the system can automatically send messages to people. And having all of that data to sort of automatically come to those conclusions is super useful, um, you know, at a large scale like that. And it's we've used the term before again in the Amazon Echo episode we did, is the idea of using that big data to imitate intelligence, yes. imitate being smart. And it's not about that. It's more about the fact that now these kind of these sensors and these data gathering devices that are connected to the internet are able to send so much data back mm. and it just crunches the numbers over and over and over again until it comes to the most logical, likely conclusion. Yeah. So, for example, using your logistics example, then if you find that over the course of, say, a week, all your van drivers are reported, like all the vans themselves, I should say, rather than the driver itself who can't report back as accurately as the van itself can Mm. you know at this time of day on this road we're always running about three or four minutes late so maybe we schedule vans to leave either a bit sooner or to do a different Mm. route to avoid there and then you can improve your service but without additional cost because once that infrastructure is already in place it doesn't cost anything else to do really does it like Mm. the data itself is still coming through you're not having to pay someone to gather this data for you anymore because it's it's part of your service. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that actually just reminded me of a, of a great example of the Internet of Things, Waze. You know, Waze 
essentially is sort of crowdsourcing traffic information by recording where everyone is. And that's kind of Internet of Things because the only reason that works is because you have a smartphone and your smartphone is a thing that, you know, if you think previously when you had mobile phones that didn't have the internet, they have been enhanced by the internet being added to yeah. them. And that can help, you know, make those in decisions about traffic and stuff like that. And there's another example of using mobile phones to to sort of track and, and come to conclusions about stuff. And that was um, Transport for London here in the UK. They ran a short, I think it was a week or two, experiments where they tracked, because they have uh, Wi-Fi on all of the underground, all of the like underground metro stations. And they could track when mobile phones, particular like your specific mobile phone, would leave and join different Wi-Fi networks at the different stations. So they could build a picture of exactly the routes that people were taking. It wasn't just sort of guessing based on observations or, you know, counting people. It was just purely through actually recording the data of where people go, where do people change at what station, how long do they wait for at the platform, at what times of the day. And that's a great pool of data to either automatically or manually make decisions about how to improve the service. And all that's possible because of the fact that these small little fairly cheap devices are being added to any normal thing that has internet connectivity now. Mm. Um, so in this case, your smartphone, but yep. in whatever example you want to use, uh, and being able to send all that massive data back. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... We, we came off quite sceptical in the episode, uh, and I think rightly so as well. Like, I really dislike the whole growing consumer side of the Internet mm. of Things. But it is really useful, and it has a lot of legit purposes right now. And there is definitely going to be more use for it in the future as well. Like, one of the things mm. that we've kind of touched on already is the idea of, like, traffic shaping, I guess. Mm. Like, literal traffic shaping, not internet traffic shaping. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for things like self-driving cars was one of the things that we came to, wasn't it? Mm. Like the ability for self-driving cars to be a thing already, you know, Google are developing that kind of technology. But the fact that you can have them all interconnected so that they all know where each other are at all times, mm. so that they can kind of plan routes better to avoid each other. And that's only possible through that internet connectivity. Yeah, absolutely. And the self-driving cars are a great example of how the ubiquity of these systems becomes really important and can have an even greater impact on our lives. Because if every car on the road was self-driving, you would not need junctions. You wouldn't need traffic mm. lights because all of the cars would be able to communicate with each other and potentially just, you know, naturally flow and make sure that, you know, you would basically be able to eliminate traffic to a degree um, and that's only really possible when this is everywhere you know a particular infrastructure or system is in place across an entire you know huge expanse of society but nonetheless it just that does let you do some such interesting things so i mean for the most part what we definitely we feel very strongly about is the fact that the idea of using the internet of things is probably much better suited towards a more subtle mm. and under the radar method of doing things to enhance and move progression forward for certain uh, areas of life so mm. things like for example traffic or maybe making it so that uh, uh, healthcare people can kind of monitor people with known conditions you know mm. tracking your packages all that kind of stuff it's all the same technology, but it is very, genuinely very useful. Mm. Um, and that's going to be a lot more useful than, say, having the ability to know whether your fridge needs more ice cubes in the toilet. Yeah, or whether you are nearly out of milk. <laughs> exactly. 
expect the internet to continually creep into your home is mm, what i'm saying definitely maybe don't buy into like oh buying all the wi-fi bulbs and buying you <laughs> you know another version of your thermostat or whatever but also accept the fact that they are useful and they are going to um enhance the way we live and although it, it, it's kind of this is where you put your tinfoil hat on for the you mm. know this time of the episode how much you want that to be the case because i mean how how much of a skynet-esque kind of idea is that that mm. everything's kind of connected to each other and i think that's maybe being a little bit too paranoid really because mm. at the end of the day like you said the internet is just held together by duct tape and string so how <laughs> how much power could it really how bad can it be it'll be fine how bad can, oh god famous <laughs> we can just cut words. the string <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, sure. That won't plunge the world into chaos. Um, <laughs> and I guess there is always more to go wrong as a result of it, isn't there? Like we mm. said earlier in the episode, like adding this kind of connectivity just means that there's more to go wrong. But it also means that there's a lot more that we can do with the products and technology that we currently have beyond absolutely. developing past them. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you are completely right. You know, there's a lot more exciting things that are going to happen by connecting things and in the world together um, to make more intelligent decisions, to be more efficient, and to just generally make our lives better. But, I mean, maybe you don't agree. Maybe you think that all the consumer incentive things are wonderful and they enhance your life massively yeah. and you wouldn't be able to make it through the day without knowing you know exactly what temperature or how it is while you're at work yeah you know and, and maybe you rely on the ability for your fridge to tell you that you need to get that sick egg for that omelet you want to make when you get home you know <laughs> let us know because you know we've been very skeptical towards something that you're incredibly uh, passionate about <laughs> so you know tell us off um but equally so maybe you are on the opposite side of the spectrum and you know you're a huge conspiracy theorist about the that this is just the government's way of trying to get into your home more yeah. um you know they're just trying to monitor you uh, your light bulbs are listening to you right now exactly <laughs> the fact that they could turn off your light bulbs at any time to make you go dark so they could hit you with a swat team you know that could be real <laughs> that's a real thing let us know i mean maybe don't let us know you know too much in detail you want to keep that to yourself fair yeah enough. you know um but you know in, in all in all seriousness like what your opinions are on the matter is quite interesting because there isn't a right or wrong answer no we're definitely, definitely quite skeptical uh and i think that just comes from the fact that we've seen this kind of thing come and go with like the mm. current fad hitting people over the head with it and then kind of leaving it alone when it doesn't take off yeah absolutely um so it would be interesting to hear what your thoughts are yeah you can uh send us a tweet or two we're at octal fm on twitter and you can email us, uh, which is show at octal.fm. And you can, as we said before, you can go back, listen to past episodes, maybe go and have a listen to that Amazon Echo episode, which is a good one. And yeah, but otherwise, this time we actually managed to record this episode, I hope. Otherwise, that's going to be a really funny thing to and say. And in fantastic time as well, because we knew exactly what we wanted to say. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, let us know if you think that that episode was super smooth and we should always record all our episodes twice. <laughs> oh, please don't. Oh, no. <laughs> all right, I've been Seferin. And I've been Gelada. And we hope you enjoy our little rant about the Internet of Things. Yes. There were no outtakes for this episode, unsurprisingly, because we were recording it twice. So for fun, here's Seth reacting to me telling him that I hadn't been recording the entire time. Oh God, don't say that. Oh, you are joking.
You must have recorded it. Oh my god. See, we've not recorded anything. <laughs> 